welcome again to SayPod. I am your host, Stephanie Timmy, and also the founder of Sadia. So Sadia is a social enterprise that focuses on helping black, Asian, and minority ethnic women enter the cybersecurity field. And we do this through e-learning, such as short courses, webinars, and we also have a virtual internship because we understand the barriers that face women. Doesn't only include certifications, but also experience. Today, I'm so excited. I'm joined with Shayi from Glitch. But before before I um, start, I'm just going to let Shayi introduce herself. Hi, everybody. Uh, My name is Shayi Akiwowo. I am the founder and executive director of Glitch. Glitch is a small UK-based charity championing everyone's right to feel safe and secure online. And we uh, look at communities that are mostly uh, disproportionately affected by online harms and harassment and at the moment sadly that is women and people of colour. I've been working on Glitch for the last three years. It started after I experienced online abuse and harassment when a video of a speech that I made at the European Parliament went viral when I was a councillor back in 2017. Um, And for the last three years we've been doing a lot of work to raise awareness of what online abuse is and its various manifestations, deliver training and workshops to kind of counteract the exodus of women that we're seeing leave the online space and even democracy and and journalism and other forms of public life and then we do a lot to look around look at legislation change and tech responsibilities as well when trying to raise everyone's uh, capacity to hold tech companies to account because at the moment self-regulation is no longer working and we need more to make sure that all communities particularly black uh, communities feel safer online thank you thank you so much for that and i really value um the work that glitch does especially i value it so much that i'm a part of um glitch family as a trustee and i think i wanted us to just start on twitter so i think it would be good for us to have a conversation on twitter and the reason why i'm starting with twitter is because i know with the amnesty report it talked about black women being mostly affected by online abuse in comparison to their counterparts so uh-huh. do you want to shed more light on that on like why you think the reasons for that is yeah i mean first of all shout out to you for being an amazing trustee i think it's going to come up to about a year soon um and your insight and making sure that we're accessible and we're keeping up with new trends or patterns of behavior is really um really really uh, valuable so thank you and yeah the amnesty international report um which you know in stats world and scientific data world is pretty old which says something in itself that we don't have enough data collection and research being being um commissioned to look at the experiences of particular groups online and you know Steph, that we've got this work um, this project coming out soon well, later on this year now, COVID-19, messing up everyone's timelines. But we've got this specific project looking at black women's experience of online abuse and disinformation. And what I want to start seeing more of, of um, or more understanding of, is this, this ping-pong effect between mainstream media and and social media and how disinformation and online abuse can start on social media and then get picked up in the papers and become a bigger story and vice versa. We see that ping-pong effect, if you like, um, being... Dis- 
we see that happening and affecting Dianava, we see that happening affecting Shola, Dr. Shola, who does a lot of um, commentary on black issues. Um, we see that with Afroa, um, Afroa, who talks about her book, Akala, as well as a, as a mixed race man. Mm-hmm. Um, we, with um, uh, Dawn Butler, we see cross party, we see Unfortunately, with the issues around COVID-19 and how it disproportionately affects black communities, black communities are 4.2 times more likely to be impacted or die from COVID-19. And when black communities talk about it online, they are faced with a raft of abuse. And then what we even saw on the timeline a couple of weeks ago when black Twitter were having conversations around colorism, around um, around council culture, around um, unfairness between women and, black, and, and women and black men, we then saw that being displayed and carried out onto mainstream media, which calls further harms. So this ping pong effect really is interesting to me, particularly I've also been on the receiving end of it. You remember when, as a trustee, Steph, um, two months ago when the Daily Mirror wrote an article, yep. which was essentially news about me, that then sparked abuse when there was no there was no abuse beforehand. So that that. That, come, that for me is at the crux of everything because it's about how do we start addressing some of those root instigators, those catalysts that can really cause domino effects, the impact it has on families, the financial implications, the emotional implications, how to make sure that our NHS is getting ready for this. You know, there's just so much to unpack around our responsibility and the repercussions of it. And going back to my first point, unfortunately, this area is so under-researched and funded. Mm, but the true. stat you're referring to by Amnesty International was from a few years ago that showed, first of all, <clears throat> Women were disproportionately impacted by online her- abuse and harassment. In the UK, it's about 20%. And then there was a further research done to look at um, politicians and journalists. And um, uh, with the politicians, they looked at UK politicians. And Diane Abbott was the one that received the most abuse of all 650 MPs. Not all of them are on Twitter, obviously. Yeah. So much so that she, Diane Abbott was skewing the results for when there was analysis done at Labour, la- looking at Labour Party versus the Conservative party versus the Liberal Democrat party um, and uh, she also Diane Abbott's uh, data also skewed it for when looking at women so that's how much abuse Diane Abbott received and then there was another research that looked at um, black women's experience more globally across different um, countries um, and it showed that black women were 84% more likely to receive harassment online or receive problematic tweets than white women. And that was also, again, worse for women of color. We looked at all um, baby communities, if you like. So the stats tell the story that black, Asian, minority ethnic groups have been saying for a long time. We finally have some stats that show that, but we don't have enough research to look into multi-intensive identities. So I'd like to see what it's like for a black LGBT disabled woman, what it looks like for our deaf communities online. I think we need to start seeing um, this trend and these uh, and, and the need for data collection as a vital part of combating online harms. No, I definitely agree. And I think being someone who I know that, especially when it comes to like policy and policy making, having the stats and having the figures is so important because it allows you to know what areas to target. And I think what I like about that Amnesty report is that it, it basically these this conversations i think has been happening for years but it allowed it validated it and said that you know the stat does back up what people have been saying um for almost over a decade now in regards to i think before we go down and we explore you know just 
the Twitter culture and the whole colorism um, incident that happened, I think it's good for us to understand who is responsible. Um, I think you talked about like um, mainstream media. We've talked about um, us as individuals. You know, governments. You know, there's different actors who play in this whole online abuse and, uh-huh. and the space. So, where do you think responsibility lies? And does it lie with like the people who are doing it themselves? Does it lie with the government? Does it lie with social media platforms like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or uh-huh. media? I think the responsibility is everyone. Honestly, everyone. It sounds really waffly and like I'm about to go on a march or something. I won't because of lockdown. But um, it, it, we, when we go down the route of trying to find a single actor mm-hmm. in what multi-layered issues you've just laid out, we end up ignoring or raising other tactics that affect people because sometimes you might find that the most progressive women's movement are also part of the problem and doing the abuse of other of other women or non-binary folks online, right? Mm-hmm. So when we have to, by understanding that we all play a part in keeping the online space safe, just like we do offline, mm-hmm. when we talk about keeping the streets clean, we don't say it's the council's responsibility. We also say it's, you know, residents' responsibility. It's about, we also talk about um, brands as well and that making making the their packaging more recyclably friendly, friendly environmentally friendly. We talk, we talk about everyone playing their part, right, to keep mm-hmm. our streets clean and, and, and tackle, you know, um, the uh, uh, climate change issues. Yeah. Same thing in the online space. I think from tech platforms, what we want to start seeing, which is helping with more kind of a long-term systematic change, is is platforms being created with safety by design as a key principle. And that safety by design as well cannot be based on white normative um, social norms as well. It has to be um, inclusive and intersectional. And having that principle of safety by design and digital citizenship means that you start thinking about products from the inception all the way to implementation and piloting um, really thinking about the user in mind. But at the moment, what we have is a conflict between profit and safety. And what would be, again, interesting is seeing that actually if we invested more in the safety of our platforms, would there be more people using the online space? Not everyone release uh, their annual report again, and uh, annual survey again, and this, this survey uh, was launched this week, this week being for you guys listening in May. Um, and it talked about that talk about people wanting tech accountability, people wanting Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of them to do better, but thinking that they that they won't bother and that sadly they're having, having to just make do. And there's a conflict around that. Um, I think there's also something for government who for a long time thought it was about uh, self-regulation, seeing the uh, tech companies as a business and trying to make it akin to to what? Banks, they're regulated. Alcohol, they're regulated. That's true. The pharmacy company, they're reg- What would you akin it to? Who, what exists now that is still self-regulated? There's still, a, there's still some form of um, having to pre- um, uh, go, go along to parliament and um, sit in front of the Home Affairs Select Committee or the, the relevant Select Committee um, or, 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 or have an annual account or transparency report, all of that. It's been so slow to kind of get that. And, you know, let's not forget Mark Zuckerberg, mm. who, who owns almost all tech, <laughs> tech companies, <laughs> 
refused to come and speak to Parliament after Cambridge Analytica that affected our general election. Mm-hmm. We cannot forget that. And I think what's so interesting and particularly about Facebook is they've got they've done really well to still portray themselves as this small tech company working from their dad's garage. And they are not. They're a multi-billion pound organization company, yeah. for-profit company with shareholders. They have billions of monthly active users, more than the population of China, three times more the population of Europe, and there's no emergency service. There's no one you can call to con- to, to call um, to contact them. There's also an issue now with COVID-19 that because moderators are having to having to be, you know, adhere to lockdown rules, which they should. Yeah. And there's also an issue around how moderators were treated before COVID anyway. Um, Facebook, for example, have said, look, we're not going to be able to look at your reports on Facebook um, because we're basically short on staff, so just deal with it. And I remember reporting that same account over and over and over again around gender-based violence, around nudity, and around inappropriate use of uses of image on their platform. But it was not being heard because COVID was the, was the excuse given. So again, now within COVID-19, where we're seeing more people online, increased use of internet activity, something like 15%. This means we're seeing increased you increase risk of online abuse and still tech companies are not stepping up and not stepping up f- fast enough so government for so long we're thinking about self-regulation and have now slowly come on board with the idea that mm, we need to start start defining what we mean by online harms mm-hmm. and how we regulate it but sadly again the definition of online harms misses out women and misses out the experiences of women and the harms that they face and it misses out the intersecting identities with gender and sex and that is really annoying and sad because it means that we're having to push the government to make sure that a a legislation fits everybody not just the few or a very particular view of women's experience online very sexual very still old school when that is more than it's more than that and then there's us as citizens who are online we've got responsibility to be uh, to, to be mindful of our platform, to think about online etiquette, to think about those with big platforms, how you make sure you're not instigating dogpiling, how you're role modeling good behavior. If you've got a big Instagram platform, for example, mm-hmm. how you're making sure that your comment sections are being properly reviewed and there's no one being abused in your, in, in, in your comment section for engagement. And, you know, how we make sure that we're being bystanders to each other how we're seeing our civic duty to keep the online space clean and safe and secure to prevent it being hijacked from white supremacists and racists and all sorts from um, stopping our online spaces from being weaponized against the users that need it the most and use it for the most good so we start thinking about how we are active bystanders how we call out appropriately inappropriate behavior how we um show a little kindness to people who are going through abuse and making sure they're not suffering alone i think caroline flack's death opened opened people's eyes quite a lot i remember being super busy um at glitch because a lot more people were thinking about okay what is it that we do when somebody is on the receiving of abuse and not just ignore it and think oh she's having a tough time yeah poor bird. like that's not okay anymore like that's not a an acceptable response and then i think it's not the issue is we have people saying well it's up to you steph to be safe online and then 
you can do all you can to be safe. There can still there will still be somebody who's chosen to be abusive online, and that's where the safety net of government needs to get in. And actually, just going back to government, yeah, there needs to be conversation around the monopolization of tech as well. So yeah. in COVID, during COVID nineteen, we've now seen Facebook being able to on Facebook now you are able to order food and you are able to use something like a Zoom conferencing facility and it had an impact on Zoom's profit profits. Yeah. Um, and I'm all trying to defend Zoom. I think they could have done a lot better on their privacy policy as well as their security. But there is a conversation that needs to be had now around how do we stop tech from being a monopoly of, of tech and yeah. colonization? Because what we're now going to see is neo-colonization of in, in, through tech yeah. back in Africa, back in Asia, back home. Um, and that scares me. We've got things like hashtag me at 20, the old face face yeah. um, app on Instagram last year. That is all feeding these big tech companies, these big farms. Yeah. But people say when you talk about it, think you're, you know, you'll give a conspiracy theory. Um, you know, we're feeding all of this free data to them that they end up, they're going to end up using against us. And they do when it comes to stop and search and now trying to incorporate algorithms um, in, in, in their searches. We see in America, the judicial system. And I am just so scared of what is happening back home on the continent. Yep. And also in other former former colonized uh, countries and how tech is going to basically facilitate a new form of colonization. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I think um, I think I'll just start with just going back with the conversation. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, the first one, I think the whole safety by design topic that you mentioned, I think is a big thing. Obviously, in cybersecurity, I, I think the focus has been on privacy by design. But what I like with the word safety is that it doesn't just focus on like privacy or, or the technical aspects of tech in terms of like data collection, but it also takes into the things that you discuss around ethics, about you know human um, the human nature, um, including the different interconnectedness or the differences that you have, like being a woman, being a black woman, you know, being a black woman who's part of the LGBT community or disabled. Um, so I definitely think that we as the cybersecurity community really need to start thinking about the safety by design rather than privacy by design um, because it allows you to think more broadly on these topics. Now looking at the second issue that you touched on um, which I liked about us having um, or the I think the issue I'll say is with technology it tends to be very similar to offline cases so when violence um, happen against women offline there's always this notion of victim blaming and I think we see that translate into online space like you said like you know people be saying oh you can do this you can do this you can do this but a lot of ownership is not being you know put at the people who are actually perpetuating these crimes um obviously tech companies have tried to a degree you know i wouldn't say they haven't done anything in terms of the whole reporting um function but like you mentioned with the whole covid19 that's me using an excuse to cut down staff you know and kind of cut down costs and a lot of i believe that a lot of tech companies see this reporting tools and things like that as a nice to have and not a necessity 
mm. or human rights and I think because of that we're seeing this being perpetuated into different um, ways and I think another thing that's also quite important that I, I like that you talked about was the whole monopoly and we are seeing that Facebook is just trying to get everybody's money and not just you know and I think what what I will say with Facebook is that they've done a way to differentiate the identities and this whole thing where they changed um facebook to facebook but you know they changed the color of blue they changed the way facebook looked like to you know see but let's go but let's pause on that one step let's dig deep into why they changed the color of blue it's not just because of anything there's a there's really good articles out there that show that the, there's a intention behind the color scheme that they've picked the brightness of their page for you to stay on longer because their calculation of profit is time spent. Their calculation, their KPI around success, it's how much time they can they get us spending. That's why it's so, that's why as soon as you log in, you're seeing content on your timeline, no longer having to go to the timeline page. Like you're, you're constantly being lured in for, for all platforms. It's all intentional. And the amount of science that they spend on that, mm. Why can't more of it be a portion to safety being a driving force for us staying online? But the reason why we have this conflict is because we're talking about companies that were set up in in the States Mm. that have a different value system in terms of free speech and hate speech. That's true. And and to be fair, I think that's when discussions need to be had on the different governments. You know, yes. if this is if this is an American company, what is what is the what is the law of the UK with tech companies um, operating here, especially like you know American or Canadian or, or whatever, just different companies. What is the government in the UK doing? And you know, like I said, with the tech companies, I and knowing from government, you know, and seeing their track record, again, it's a nice to have. It's a nice to have thought, you know. They, I feel like it, it's a thing where they'll do a quick campaign, um, get a few voices they think is popular, and then it's done for like 30 minutes, and then that's it. They don't do anything. They don't look at it again, and that's like a nice pat on the back. Yes, we've done something, but you know, you mentioned earlier in this call, and I want to rehash that point: is that uh-huh. there is no, there's very little research being done in this space, uh-huh. and and you know that goes to even show you that why is there little research? Why is there, you know, little funds? Because there's loads of grants out there. There's loads of grants, research grants. And with working with universities, I've, you know, a lot of them tend to tailor what their research is based on what grants are available. So really and truly, we need to be asking questions with the government, like, what is your priority on the internet? And I think what's important about that is because there's a lot of work when it comes to policing you know there's a lot of work with actual police being on the street to make sure that we're safe but we are all living in this Uh virtual world where it's the same it's the same you know the same rules apply and do we have online police is there an online police department no there isn't and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of not knowing as well. You know, in our training workshops that we've delivered and we've delivered worldwide to thousands of people over the years and have had really good impact. But we're we're a small, small charity. This should be something that is freely available by governments in libraries around the world, so that not just women and girls that can make it to a one-hour webinar or two-hour workshop after work or school um, can come along, but everyone can have access to this and have a basic understanding 
understanding of their rights online and their responsibilities. And as you said, understanding what the law is or what the, what the law says or what the law is around around hate speech, around inappropriate behaviours on, online. There isn't a clear understanding around police teams and what is there, what's available for terrorist activities online, child pornography, active, child pornography and kind of child protection issues online. And then the rest of the world, like where do, where do women, you know, women and you know, online misogyny and then racism and, and then the intersection of that, that there is, it's just so murky and messy. And then when you actually want to then take something to, to the courts, you know, try and set some case law and precedents. And we saw one to this week, actually, the BBC reporter mm-hmm. who's taking her, she's gone, who was in court today for, um, a troll who was saying some stuff about Obama being related to Hitler and wow. all of this crazy, crazy stuff. Um, and you know, something shout out to Charlotte Fisher from UK Citizens, also who's the person who's spearheading the campaign on making misogyny a hate crime. She taught me about how trolls are so lazy. She wouldn't say it like this, but I'm rephrasing. She goes, trolls are so lazy, they will use one issue to try and attack two communities and try and use and try and get one community to, to do the trolling for the other one. And the crux of this always tends to be around like conspiracy theories and and, and anti-Semitism. And I remember when I got my abuse, I had people saying stuff like gas chambers, and I was just a bit like, you know, wrong, <laughs> wrong identity here. But anyway, I digress. Um, we don't have enough people being able to go to the court systems, a court system, and be able to, to press for a case and then get uh, a case heard, a, ju- a judge to understand, and then for it to be a positive result, for there to be case law and precedent. We don't have enough of that. We hear about, you know, Luciana Berger or a celebrity who's got an injunction out, or we hear about Gina Miller who. Um, is going to, who's going to, who's been going to court for all the people that have been sending death threats to her for bringing about um, uh, the stuff around the EU referendum results. It's a mess. That's all I can say. It's a mess. And so how can we be asking people to be digital citizens around something that is still so confusing? And that's why everyone has to play their part. Government, law enforcement, parents, teachers, older sisters and brothers... You know, making sure we're all modeling the behaviors we want to see on our online space. And it starts also with vocabulary as well, like mm-hmm. calling other spaces, communities, because that's what we see as. We visit Twitter as, like, oh, what's happening on Twitter today? It's like we're popping around to the local community center or to the pub. That is our new public house, right? And yeah. therefore, let's treat it with respect. Let's, let's all play our part. When you had, um, we had a real issue in the UK a decade ago around drink driving. Mm. Like a huge issue around drink driving and there have been a lot of deaths, either people being hit on the road or the driver and the passengers, right? And there was a big government effort, effort it was like I think under Tony Blair, to invest in big national campaigns around don't drink and drive, about everyone playing their part. I remember like growing up seeing loads of like, um, I, I love soaps, like your EastEnders, your, your Coronation Street, your Emmerdale, they all centre around what? A pub, right? The mm-hmm. Queen Vic. Um, and I remember seeing like Peggy and other landladies taking taking people's keys when their, um, their customers had been drinking too much. And that was just a display of everyone has to help play 
their part in keeping the roads safe. How do we start get demonstrating that analogy for the online space and not see it as this kind of virtual world, but an extension of our offline space mm. on an online space? No, I, I definitely agree with you. And I think probably the last point that I will touch upon is what you said about parents. Uh oh, are you still there? I'm still, I'm still here. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? So I think the last thing that I'm going to touch upon is what you said about parents. And um, I think this is something that I really, it's really important. And because I've worked on the space of online child sexual exploitation, I think certain, not even certain, I feel like certain, um, just even all apps, I think parents, especially from the BAME community, really need to find time to really understand the technology that their children are using, especially Snapchat. Snapchat, Snapchat, Snapchat. Hopefully, I'll see if I can get a speaker to come and explore the, you know, the topic more. But with Snapchat, you know, with your geolocation, you know, like those find friends, people are able to find you. Um, even, e even, you know, I've, there's been so many stories of girls as young as nine, ten using the platform as um, a platform to like sell certain things that you know shouldn't be sold, and people actually buying it, you know, and. I think it's because I know, especially parents from the brain community, they tend to work a lot just to survive. Uh -huh. And, and uh -huh. there isn't enough time for them to actually sit down with their kids. And I'm sure there are other apps that has the potential. I'm sure with Instagram and all these social networking apps, it's very easy for a predator to find its way to contact because it, you know, internet and social media is very open. So I will say definitely, take take the time to really assess the technology that your children are using i just feel uh -huh. like i need to put that in this podcast that please 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 check because it will surprise you the lengths pedophiles will go you know just to have engage your children online um but i think we'll we'll leave that on that note i don't know if you want to say any final words from you shane um, just to say that we have launched um, our summer 2020 program. Um, uh, by the time this podcast comes out, you'll probably um, we'll probably be heading to our first online workshop, and it's a series of free workshops for women and non-binary people who want to come along and learn more about their digital self-care, self-defense, and key security tips. Um, there's also some a couple workshops specifically for politically active women, so activists, grassroots campaigners, um, those that are doing amazing local community work and want to be more online, have online presence, or they're managing a Facebook group and, and it's getting a bit out of hand and just want to connect with other people who are in the same position as well as um, uh, learn some tips to feel safe. So please check out fixtheglitch.org forward slash summer 2020 um, to find out more and join our mailing list for those dates and just follow us on social media as well. Um, oh, we're, we're Glitch UK underscore on most social medias, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. And please, if you are at all interested in or interested or connected to the kind of philanthropy world or research, may I implore you to look at it from an intersectional lens and look at it to help push for legislative change and solutions. Thank you, Steph, for inviting me onto your podcast. 
No, I was going to say thank you so much, Shay. Like, I've learned so much. And I feel like every time I have a discussion, I'm always learning more and more about the online space and ways to make it safer. So thank you for coming on our platform. Like always, everybody, feel free to follow Sadia. Um, we're Sadia SI on Instagram, Twitter. Um, on LinkedIn, you can find us on Sadia. Definitely check out our webinars, our events. And we're very, very soon, we're also launching an online courses platform. So please, please, please subscribe so that you are kept in the loop. Anyway, see you all next time. And it's been a great podcast. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to do this again, Shay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you all for listening.